0: Good morning, Freedom. I want to welcome you, those that are worshiping with us in here, and those that are joining us online. We're in week two of this series that we're calling The Bridge. And really, what we're talking about is this idea that God created in the church called community. He designed us and created us for each other. And over the last several months, we've been disconnected. And so I felt like the Lord pressing in on me to do a message series on the idea of community and why community and fellowship is so important. Because the truth of the matter is we have spent six months in isolation. Many of us are still joining us online, which I completely understand. This message series is not to be a a source of condemnation. It is a source of encouragement of how we can continue to build community even when we're apart. And so I uh, just want to thank you so much for worshiping with us and being a part of this series, because I think it's so important that the church understand who we are and how God designed us, how God created us for community. You see, as the church, you and I have a commitment to one another. We have a commitment to one another regardless of our position, regardless of our levels of of maturity, regardless of how long we've been following Christ. We have a duty. We are bound by a duty to help one another grow spiritually. That's what discipleship is all about. That's why Jesus said, go and make disciples. He was giving us a command as the church to go and be mutually bound to one another to help one another grow spiritually, to grow in maturity. And the church is how God, through His providence, through His plan, it was the church that He designed to accomplish that purpose. Which begs the question, what is the church? Now, if you go and look up the definition in Webster's Dictionary, what you're going to find is the church, the definition is, it is a building for public Christian worship. That's the church, according to the dictionary. And the truth of the matter is, many of us, if you were like me, you were taught a rhyme by your parents and your Sunday school teachers that reinforced that idea. Anybody remember it? Can you do it with me? All right, how's it go? Here's a church. Here's the steeple, open the doors, see all the people. Now, here's what I want you to know, your parents and your Sunday school teachers were not evil. They were just theologically misinformed. Because we would all agree, right, that the church is not a building. Would we agree with that? Can we agree with that? Okay, two people can agree with that? All right, no, I'm just teasing. So the church is not a building. In fact, the Bible calls the church the body of Christ. It calls the church the the bride of Christ. So the church is not a building. The church is God's people. That's why even throughout this pandemic, the church never ceased to exist. Never ceased to exist. And even in places where it's incredibly locked down right now, the church is still in, in existence. The church is still on the move. Because the church was never a building. It was never designed to be a building. In fact, the early church didn't even have buildings. They had to meet and gather, as we're going to see today, in the Jewish temple. It was the largest place for public gatherings. In the courtyard of the temple. And they would gather there. So the church is God's people. So did that mean in Matthew 18. Did Jesus define the church. When he said where two or more are gathered. Not exactly. The context of that. He's talking about, uh, he's talking about disagreements. He's talking about um, two people arguing. And so really. It's not just when two people are gathered together. Two Christians are gathered together. Because if that were the case. Post-COVID, it would be Chick-fil-A would be a church, right? Where two or more are gathered. But you see, the church, let me talk, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 38 today, and I want to set up the context before we study the text, because understanding what had just previously happened in the book of Acts helps us understand what the church is and how God's church was established in Acts chapter 2. Because you see, in Acts chapter 2, what we find is Peter stands up and he preaches this sermon. And he preaches this sermon because people thought that the disciples were drunk. They thought that they had been drinking wine in the morning. And he's like, listen guys, it's in the morning. We have not been drinking wine. So he preaches this Christ-exalted gospel sermon. And out of that sermon, 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus Christ in that moment, in an instant. And that day... God's church was born. That day, the church was born. And the church has always been God's plan for community. The church has always been God's plan for relationship. The church was never meant to be the conversion of individuals. But the church was designed to be a people gathered for christ in fact when paul wrote to the to titus who was a one of the pastors that pastored the churches that that one of the churches that paul had planted when he wrote to titus in his letter to titus he says that jesus has redeemed a people for himself now a people implies that we as a group of people have been redeemed for christ's sake that we are to be in community with one another for the sake of christ for the sake of the gospel See, Christianity is personal, but it's never been designed to be individualistic. Your faith is personal. My faith is personal, but it's never designed to be individual. We were to take our personal faith and join it with everyone else's personal faith to create a community set apart, this ecclesia set apart for the kingdom of God. Set apart, according to Titus, a people redeemed for Christ himself. And the communal nature of the church is reiterated throughout the New Testament. And it's illustrated by the fact that nearly every letter in the New Testament was written to a specific church or to a pastor of a specific church. Why would God do that? Because the church was designed to be communal. It was designed to be, we were designed to be in community. And so one of the most important decisions that anyone will ever make is finding a godly, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, Jesus-following church to call home. You see, there's a lot of people that will say, you know, Eric, Eric I, okay, I get that, but I don't need the church to grow spiritually. I don't need the church to, to help my relationship with Christ. Well, there's a Greek word um, in, the, in the New Testament. The New Testament was written in Greek, and there's a Greek word for people who say that they don't need the church to grow spiritually, and the Greek word is hogwash. <laughs> you see, we need the church. We need one another. We can't can't fulfill all that God has for us if we are not in community with one another. And that's been the challenge during this season, right? Because so many of us, even those of us joining online, you're out of community. And and, and even though you're growing in your relationship with Jesus, even though you're you're developing and you're, you're reading your Bible and you're doing things individually, there's a missing piece and we all feel it. At least I think we all feel it. We've all felt it. Like, I, I, there's just something missing in my spiritual journey without the church, without other believers in my life, without walking in, in, through life with other people. And so based on the importance of the church, I think it's, a, it's incredibly important for us to understand what the church is and what the church is supposed to do. And so in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 38, here's what we see. It says, and Peter said to them, this is after his message, after he preached the sermon. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself, look at verse 40, And with many other words, in other words, Peter preached a long sermon. So just get ready. Got a long sermon coming for you. No, I'm just teasing. But uh, with many other words, with many other words, uh, Peter continued to bear witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. In verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls, so the church is born. And look at verse 42 and they, that's those 3,000 people that had just given their life to Christ, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and the prayers. and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and were, were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so after the church is established in verses 38 through 41, Luke goes on to describe healthy habits of a church, or what a healthy church looks like. Beginning in verse 42, he says, these are some things, the priorities that the early church had. In the early church, they, they had priorities of teaching. It says fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Those were their priorities. Those were the four things that the early church focused on. Teaching, breaking bread, fellowship, and prayer. So this is the priorities. And then he goes on through the remainder of verses 43 through 47 to unpack some practices that directly correlate with those priorities. If you look at the text, he lays out these priorities and says, here are some practices that coincide with those priorities. Here's how they went out and they accomplished the priorities of teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. And Paul goes on to show us what a healthy, or Luke's rather, goes on to describe what a healthy church looks like. What a healthy church should be doing. What a healthy church's priorities and practices should be. And I believe that we can group these priorities and practices into four vital signs of a healthy church that we're going to look at today. Four vital signs of a healthy church. The first one is biblical teaching. Second one is loving fellowship. Third is vibrant worship. And the fourth is daily outreach. And each of these signs coincide with relationships that we as Christians have. Think about it. Our relationship with God is accomplished through teaching and worship. Our relationship with one another as the church is accomplished through fellowship. And our relationship with those outside of the church is accomplished through outreach. And so God, in His providence, shows us what a healthy church practices and what their priorities are. And the reality is that every church has strength and weaknesses in each each of those areas, right? Like no church is a perfect church that has it all together. But every single church has some strengths, whether it come maybe that maybe they're strong in teaching, but not strong in outreach. Or maybe they're great at fellowship, but worship is boring. You know, and and it can go back and forth. And so every church has certain strengths and certain weaknesses when it comes to these areas. So as we walk through these vital signs today, here's what I encourage you to do. I encourage you as Freedom Bible Church to just examine yourself. Because you are a part of this church. And examine our church, examine freedom, and then pray that the Spirit renews you personally and us corporately. Because these are four vital signs laid out in the, for the early church. And the first one is this that they, they it was biblical teaching. We're just going to walk through all four of them. And it says in verse 42 and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now if you're new to Freedom, here's what I want you to know. We are a Bible believing church. We're called Freedom Bible Church for a reason because we believe that this book is God's word and this book should inform every single thing we do individually and corporately as a church. We believe that God's word is our authority, that God's word is perfect, that that everything we do must submit to god's word that's what we believe we believe that the big idea of the bible is the person and work of jesus beginning all the way in genesis and ending in revelation all of scripture is pointing to christ the old testament is pointing to his birth the rest of the new testament is equipping us and preparing us and pointing to his second coming we believe that all of scripture is about jesus and for us The Bible's not about us. The Bible is about Jesus. It's for us, but it's not about us. And my job as your pastor is not to preach my opinions. It's not to share share my opinions with you. It's not to entertain you. My job as your pastor is to please an audience of one. And that means I want to take this word each and every week and study it and read it and declare God's word to you, not my word. And if there ever becomes a point where I stop preaching about Jesus and stop preaching the Bible, my encouragement to you is to leave this church. Get out as fast as you can, because the moment we stop preaching the Bible is the moment we cease to be a church. Can we all agree with that? Why are you all leaving? No, I'm just kidding. Just It was a joke. Nobody laughed. Those of you online, it was, I was just teasing. But listen, I'm dead serious about it, though. Because if we're not building our church on the foundation of God's word and what he says to us through the person and work of Jesus, then we're building it on the wrong foundation. And I firmly believe that Scripture is sufficient to build up and to bless the church. I firmly believe that Scripture guides us in how we are to operate as a church. And I also believe that those of us who call ourselves the church must submit to God's Word both individually and corporately. As a community, we have to submit to what God's Word teaches us. And here's what I love about the early church. They loved God's word. They loved studying scriptures. We'll discover they would meet in the temple for teaching and the apostles would give them instruction. They would gather in homes where their more teaching would take place. They would they wanted to know everything they possibly could about Jesus. And as you guys know, the the New Testament church didn't have the New Testament. They had letters that they would circulate around but, but but the majority of their teaching, the apostles' teaching, was taking the Old Testament and saying, listen, all of this is pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the early church was soaking that up. They wanted to know Jesus as much as they possibly could. They wanted to know who He was. They wanted to know the power of His resurrection. And they wanted to experience His Holy Spirit leading and guiding them. And so the early church, they, they were incredibly saturated with God's word and knew that it was vital to their spiritual nourishment. That's why it says, as we'll find out, they devoted themselves day by day to God's word. But here's what I need you to understand. Biblical knowledge does not equal maturity. Biblical knowledge does not equal spiritual maturity. There's a lot of people that can quote many verses in the Bible, but they are spiritually immature. They're not walking it out, living it out day in and day out. Spiritual maturity doesn't equal, uh, spiritual knowledge or biblical knowledge doesn't equal spiritual maturity. However, biblical knowledge is necessary for spiritual maturity. Two separate things, but you must know the Scripture in order to grow in the Scripture. Like, it amazes me how many people will will seek guidance in their lives and say, I want to go get all of y'all's opinions first before I actually open the Bible and read God's Word. Like, what are we expecting? We have to open up Scripture for ourselves. We have to dive into the Word ourselves if we want to have spiritual nourishment. Paul, the Apostle Paul says that transformation begins in our minds. He says, if you want to grow, you need to renew your what? Your mind. And renewing our mind is done through God's Word. See, God's Word gives our mind the building material with which the Holy Spirit can transform us into more Christ-likeness. When we read God's Word, when we study God's Word for ourselves, when we sit under teaching of God's Word, whether it be in large groups like this or small groups in homes, when we study God's Word, it begins to transform our mind. And that transforming and renewing of our mind is the building material that the Holy Spirit uses in order to transform us from the inside out. In order to change our lives and to make us more and more like Jesus. So I want to just ask a few questions. Just as I told you at the beginning that we're going to examine ourselves and examine our church. So I've got some questions just for you to examine yourself. First one is this. How are you doing? How are you regularly sitting under the authority and teaching of Scripture? Is that a normal practice of your life to sit under the teaching of Scripture? Are you spending time in God's Word on your own? Not just just coming for church on on Sunday, but are you spending time in God's Word on a regular basis on your own? Because I don't think anybody in here eats one meal a week. And yet, if all you're doing is showing up at church once a week on Sunday in order to hear God's Word taught, you're starving yourself spiritually. That's why it is incredibly important that we open God's word on our own throughout the week so that we can be spiritually nourished. So other questions. Are you being renewed in the gospel daily? Are you continually reminding yourself of God's grace and God's mercy and God's love for you? Are you teaching the Bible to others? Are you discipling other people? Listen, some of you say, well, Eric, I just don't know the Bible well enough. And this here's what I'll tell you. You don't have to take what you do know. Find someone who doesn't know it and help them grow in their spiritual walk. We're bound by Scripture in order to do that. And, here, and so here's the other th- the other final question. Is Do you run first to others' opinions or God's Word when you're seeking direction and guidance for your life? And here's what I would ask for you of me. I would ask that you would pray for me. Pray that by God's grace... I would do a good job of teaching the Bible. Pray that I would do a fantastic job of, of opening God's Word, studying it faithfully, and then communicating it to you as a church. I would covet those prayers. See, my number one responsibility as your pastor is to teach God's Word. There's a lot of other things that I do, but my number one respons- responsibility and the lion's share of my role is to communicate God's Word to this congregation, to this body of Christ, to this local expression of the church. And so pray. Pray that that my time in God's Word each week would be fruitful. Pray that He would speak clearly to me and that I would empty myself and communicate what He speaks clearly to you. And so that's the first vital sign, biblical teaching. The second vital sign of a healthy church is loving fellowship. Look what verse 42 says again. And they devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to one another. That word is koinonia. And we've talked about that word many times. But koinonia really means this this idea of of community for a shared purpose. It's this idea of a, a community moving forward. Moving in direction with one another. And that direction is for the sake of the kingdom of God and the gospel. And so they, would, they, would, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. You see, first century Christians, first century followers of Jesus, they shared this same way of life. They were spiritually united to one another. They were connected to one another. And that spiritual union worked itself out through love and support of one another. And here's the reality, church. Our fellowship with one another is directly tied to our fellowship with Jesus. How we interact and how we have fellowship with one another is directly tied to our relationship with Christ. Because here's the reality. If you're out of relationship with Christ, the truth of the matter is you're going to be out of fellowship with the church. There's going to be something off in your relationship to the church if you're out of fellowship with Jesus. And we probably all experience those times, right? Where our life with Christ isn't quite up to par. We're not really walking with Him the way we once were. And what do we, what's the last thing we want to do? Is get up and go to church. Why? Because we're like, ah, this is, it's just off. I don't really feel like it. I'm not into it. I'm not feeling it. Right? And the reason for that is because our relationship with the church, our fellowship within the church, is directly related to our relationship with Christ. And the opposite is also true. If, if you and I are out of fellowship with the church, there's a strong indicator that something's off in our relationship with Jesus. And it's just the reality of the way things are. And the, and the, the, the challenge with this has been during this COVID season, right? Because the truth of the matter is, many of us were forced out of fellowship with the church. Like our relationship with Christ was going great. Our community and fellowship within the church was going great. And then all of a sudden we're forced out of that through a pandemic. And what, we've, what I've discovered over the last several months is that, you know, it takes, what, about 30 days to, uh, to create a habit in our lives? And we spent six months creating the habit of not gathering together as the body of Christ. And I know some of us can't. And some of us shouldn't. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those of us that can and those of us that should and still don't. It's an indicator that something's not right in your fellowship with the church or your relationship with Christ. And for those of us that can't, we want to be there for you as a church. Yeah, you may not be able to gather with us in this room, but if there's ways that we can minister to you, if there's ways that we can reach out to you, please do not hesitate to let us know as a church, because that's what we're all here for, right, church? And so we have many brothers and sisters that are that are that are ill and that can't because of compromised health and and things like that. But we want to be your support. We want to be there for you. And so, but for those of us, man, for those of us who can be here and have no problem going to the Mexican restaurant three times a week and yet won't gather at church. There's a strong indicator that something's not right in your relationship either with Christ or your fellowship with the church and possibly both. And so listen to the one and other passages in the New Testament. And they, these, these passages just show the significance of our devotion to this community of faith. And here's what they say. He says, I give you a new commandment. This is Jesus speaking. I give you a new commandment. And John spoke the same thing that you would love one another. And then he goes on, and then the scripture goes on to say, outdo one another in showing honor, serve one another through love carry one another's burdens with patience bear with one another in love be kind and compassionate to one another always pursue what is good for one another don't criticize one another don't complain about one another confess your sins to one another and pray for one another do you see the importance of community within the body of Christ just i mean those are just a sample of the one another scriptures god created us and designed us for this fellowship With one another. And here's the truth. Cultivating fellowship is going to be a challenge. Right? I mean, some of y'all are challenging. I'm challenging. Why? Because we're all sinful. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to hurt one another. We're going to put ourselves out there. And what's going to happen? We're going to get hurt. But that's where we go back to these one another passages and say, listen, I'm going to confess my sins to one another. And I'm going to pray for one another. Because we are going to hurt each other. And and, and it involves this two-way commitment. And it requires work. Fellowship requires a lot of work. Community requires a ton of work. but But what comes with it is an amazing Beautiful spiritual blessing. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He said, "This it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers and sisters." Isn't that great? Like it is nothing but grace, and I think there's a dual meaning in that. It is God's grace that He gives us one another in relationship, and it is God's grace that is required for us to live with one another in relationship. We have to offer and extend and receive grace in order to live in community. Let's go on to the scripture. Look what Acts 2, 44 and 45 says. All who believed were together and they had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, some people use that that scripture to say that, well, the Bible teaches that we should... Sell everything and, and give it to... Her. No. The Bible also says you shouldn't steal. Which, which proves that you can have possessions. But this was this unique community that when they saw someone that had needs and that they couldn't meet that need, they would sell what they had in order to meet that need. It's a beautiful picture of fellowship and community. Look what happened. They, they, this, this fellowship caused the church to lose their sense of personal entitlement. Like, listen, when we gather... We don't come with our own personal entitlement. We're to lose that for the sake of one another. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about us. And the early church lost their sense of of, of personal entitlement. They saw their possessions. They saw what they had as a means to meeting the needs of other people. But it goes on to say that this unique fellowship produced extraordinary unity. Look what he says. He says they had all things in common. They were unified. But it also produced this radical generosity. They would sell their possessions for the sake of one another. People became more important than things or their own comfort. Now I think most of us would say, yeah, I would sell... If somebody had a need, I would sell what I needed to sell in order to help them. But yet, I think oftentimes we, and especially in in you know in American churches, we live for our own comfort a little bit, don't we? Like as long as the church makes me comfortable, I'm good. As long as God's word's not too tough on me, I'm good. As long as I'm comfortable. But yet, the early church had this radical fellowship where they said, "Listen." All of our possessions, all of our things, all of our own personal comforts are nothing compared to the other people in this body, in this fellowship. And listen what he goes on to say. And day by day, in verse 46, day by day, what does that mean? Every day, all the time, they were attending the temple together. And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. In other words, they lived out this shared life day in and day out. Every single day, they were sharing life with one another. That doesn't mean that all 3,000 of them gathered together at one time, does it? No, that wouldn't make sense. That would be impossible to do. But it does mean that little blocks every single day of the church were gathering. Monday through Sunday, every single day of the week, there were pieces and parts of the church that were gathering. Those 3,000, like 10 of them would gather in one home. A few of them would gather in another home. A few would break bread in another home. And that was constantly happening, happening every single day. But here's the reality very difficult to be involved in one another's lives if we're not hanging out with one another. It is incredibly challenging to be actively involved in one another's lives if we don't slow down enough to invest in one another. But I don't know if, you're, if your life is anything like mine. It is, that's challenging because we move at 100 miles an hour, don't we? I know even in my own life, like this season, I'm coaching football, pastoring a church, trying to lead a small group, trying to raise teenagers, and it's just literally boom, boom, boom. I leave work, I go straight to practice, get home from practice, go straight to bed, wake up the next morning, go back to work. You know, and it's on and on and on and on. And many of your schedules, you're all like, well, that's nothing. I can do that with my hands tied behind my bag. And that's probably true. But all of us move at such a fast pace. And we add so much stuff to our calendars that literally mean nothing. And what was beautiful about the early church is they moved at their max speed was about three miles an hour. Why? Because they walked everywhere. Their community was tight-knit. And we've got to figure out, church, how we slow down enough to hang out with one another, how we slow down enough to spend time with one another, so that we can build fellowship with one another. But they gathered regularly in large groups and small groups. It says in the temple, which was a large formal gathering, corporate gathering. They met in homes, with which were intimate and informal. And they and here's the reality: oftentimes churches emphasize one or the other, right? Like there are some churches, man. Their large group gatherings are amazing, right? I mean, they're like a rock concert, and you're like, eh, whoa, well, you know, go Jesus, and you know, and that's great. And then, and then there's no community there. Or you got other churches that, man, they're they're a family, but their corporate worship is really boring, and you know, it's like how, the the early church emphasized both. Like they worshipped Jesus and taught the Word in the temple, but then they gathered in intimacy and in fellowship with one another. And that's, the, that's what a church, that's, what, that's how we should do it. So questions to examine ourselves. Are you working to develop deep relationships? Are you slowing down enough to invest in others and allow others to invest in you? Are you involved in other people's lives during the week? Are you regularly involved in Sunday worship? Do you show up early enough to actually connect with people in the lobby, to grab a cup of coffee, hang out outside? if you don't want to be gathered in the lobby are are you, are you showing up or are you sneaking in like a ninja and sneaking out you know like that that's how we that's where those relationships start and then you say hey i kind of like this person i should go out and have a meal with this person cuz we've got to move from lobby interactions and even small group interactions to let's have a meal together let's share, what does it say they shared meals together they broke bread together why is that so important because our deepest, most intimate relationships occur over meals. Have you ever thought about that? Our deepest, most intimate relationships occur when we have a meal with someone else. When a couple sits across a table from each other and talk, When people start dating, what do they do? They go on a meal. They have coffee. Why? So they can have communication. Communication doesn't happen in movie theaters. It doesn't happen when y'all are sitting in rows like this. It happens face to face, and that occurs across the table for meals. So let's get, let's continue. So have you connected with a small group? I of mean, you're saying, well, I did before COVID. Like I was a part of an old group. I mean, you know, we used to meet Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights here at church, and that's not meeting anymore. And that's true. We've kind of shifted gears, and part of it is driven by the fact that our student ministry has taken over every single small group room, thanks to Johnny and Kaylin in this church. But that's a good thing. And so literally, our student ministry on Wednesday nights has taken over every aspect of both our house, where our offices are located, and this building for small groups. And so the truth of the matter is, our adults have no place to meet here on Wednesdays. But we do have hundreds of homes that we can meet in Monday through Sunday as a church. And so we've got some, we've got community groups meeting now. Some meet on Tuesday nights. Women's ministry is getting ready to start on Monday nights. We have a group that meets in our home on Wednesday nights. We've got other groups that are ready to launch as soon as people are ready to get plugged into them. Why are we doing that? Because community and relationship and fellowship is so vitally important. It's the way God designed the early church. They gathered in the temple and they gathered. In homes, And so some people say, well, you know, here's my my vision. What I envision is that we have groups, community groups that literally meet throughout the CSRA every night of the week. Like I I believe that we could have that God could do that in and through our church. We have groups that meet every single night of the week that if if a night doesn't work for you, then another night's available to you. And that community, that fellowship is where we do ministry together. It's where we grow together. It's where we build relationships with one another. And so some of you go, okay, well, how do I get connected to a group? Like, if you want to get connected to a group, I'm glad you asked it how, to, how to get connected because I want to tell you two ways you can do that. You can go simply go to our website, freedombiblechurch.net slash adultgroups. And all of our groups, our Tuesday night groups, our women's groups on there, uh, Wednesday night groups are there. We've got other groups that are launching. Once we get enough people, we'll, we'll open up other groups at other nights. And so just want you to know that you can go to our, our, our website, freedombiblechurch.net slash adult groups. Or if you just want to say, hey, look, just let me know. I, wanna, I want some more information. You can simply text groups to our church office, 706 651 8373. Simply text group. To 706-651-8373. And we'll help you get plugged in to a group. Because fellowship and community is so important. Let's go on to vital sign number three. And we're going to go quick through these next few. Vibrant worship. Look what it says. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now the breaking of bread is of course the Lord's Supper. In other words, they had a deep affection and worship for Jesus. They were deeply Deeply focused on his broken body and his shed blood. And they worshipped him and exalted him and lifted him up above all things. And it says they were also devoted to prayer. The early church had a vibrant prayer life. They prayed together corporately. They prayed without ceasing. They prayed in the temple. They prayed in their homes. They prayed when they were being persecuted. They even planned times of, of, of intense in intercession with one another. They gave thanks to Jesus for the forgiveness of, his sin, of their sins. They praised God in song and they offered up petitions to the Father to meet their daily needs. The early church was a worshiping church. And a healthy church is a praying and worshiping church. Our worship, look what it says in verse 43 and 47. Our worship should be characterized by awe and praise and thanksgiving and gladness according to those verses. It always amazes me and ma- makes me wonder how can we cheer for our favorite sports team and sing along with our favorite band and yet worship in God's church or worship with God's church is sometimes one of the most boring things we can be a part of. Like we are worshiping the risen Savior. Like Jesus died for our sins, was buried in the ground, and three days later rose from the dead. Church, we should never get over that. Our worship should be the most vibrant thing when we gather together to lift our voices, to raise our hands, to pray pray and to sing and to glorify The risen Lord. And yet oftentimes worship is something we skip in order to get to the message. Church, that should never be. Why? Because we're lifting up the name of Jesus. We should never get over the fact that God loves us in Christ. God came for us in Christ. God died for us in Christ. God rose for us in Christ. God embraced us in Christ. God is coming again. And his name is Jesus Christ. And because of that, our worship must be vibrant. It must be alive. We must celebrate and rejoice. Just one qu- or just a, a, a few questions to examine ourselves. Do you attend services? repentantly and expectantly in other words do you come here just because you're supposed to or do you come here with this heart and desire to hear from god and to experience him personally and 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 practically within your life are you experiencing awe and joy are you praying with other brothers and sisters in christ let's move on to the Fourth vital sign, this daily outreach. Look what happens. We're almost done. Verse 41. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. But look at verse 47. It says, that They had favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, this is such an incredible thing. The early church had favor with other people. Now, not everybody loved the early church. In fact, they were persecuted. But those that saw this this incredible love that they had for one another. When people saw this community that they had, it was attracted. They were attracted to it. They wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to explore more of it. They, they, They cared for those that were inside the church, but they also cared for those outside the church. In fact, some early historians would write about the spread of Christianity in the early church, and they would say things like, not only do they care for their own sect." But they also care for other people. And because of that, new people are joining their group all the time. See, they really believed what Jesus said when he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If. If. If you have love for one another. And you see, the early church loved well. And they loved so well that people were attracted to them. And so, how were people added daily? Well, ultimately, we know that the Lord's the one that adds them daily. The, the Lord's the, only the Lord is the one that converts people. But the early church was used by God through their faithful outreach. See, every day, the early church were evangelizing other people. They were sharing the gospel with other people. Every single day, they were reaching out to other people. People were added daily because the church was reaching out daily. The people were added daily because the church had this burden for outsiders, and they were willing to carry the gospel to their neighbors, to their friends, to the people that they worked with, to the people in their community. As we say it around here all the time, they carried the gospel where they lived, worked, and played. That's how people were added daily. And I can only imagine that the early church would say, Hey, listen, we've got a group of people that are going to share a meal. Why don't you come join us? And hear about this man, Jesus, who died for our sins, rose again three days later. And that's the man that we're following. And day by day, people were added to the church, and so the question: How are we, how are you praying for, serving, loving, and sharing the gospel with unbelievers where you live, work, and play? How are you doing it? Inviting others to church, to your small group, to your home for a meal. And I want to close with this: this picture, this picture of the early church is remarkably and refreshingly simple, isn't it? It's not complicated. What the early church did was not. Hard, not complicated. They simply did the basics really well. Teaching, fellowship, worship, evangelism. They simply did it really well, and perhaps I think that's oftentimes where our problems begin is we begin to overcomplicate what we're to do and who we're to be as a church. So, freedom, let's be a church where we relate to God's word through biblical teaching where we relate to each other through loving fellowship, where we relate to God through vibrant worship, and where we relate to the world through daily outreach. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your design of the church. You created us to be in community with one another. You created us to do life with one another. Yes, we gather and we learn from your word, and we're supposed to do that. We're also to take your word and we're to teach it to one another in our homes and in restaurants and places where we gather in smaller groups. And Father, I pray that you would help us to to always remain under biblical teaching. Father, help us to be your church through loving fellowship where we relate to one another in the way that we're supposed to that we would do life and share life with one another. Because I believe as we study your word and we share life with one another, our worship and our prayers for one another will just expound and grow, God. I pray that you would help that in, within us. And Father, I pray that just as the early church in Acts chapter 2 had favor with all men, I pray that you would give us favor with those who are far from God. People that don't yet know you where we live, work, and play. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.